0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.
1: No algorithm has ever jammed out to its favorite song, dreamed of starting a band, or watched its favorite movie a hundred times, or even watched a single movie for that matter. Which is why an algorithm has no business picking the films that you watch. MUBI is a curated online cinema streaming exceptional films from around the world. Each day, they introduce a new hand-picked gem, and you have one month to watch it. Whether it's a forgotten classic, a festival darling, or a groundbreaking masterpiece, every single film is hand-selected by experts. Try MUBI for free. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash words, and you will love this thing. This has changed my life in the most positive way. You get amazing cinema. So, such good stuff. that like, I love movies, and it shows me stuff that I'm like, yo, I've never even heard of this. And I watch it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. So please, 30 days for free. Movie.com, M-U-B-I.com slash words, 30 days for free. All right, now on to the show. What's up everybody? I'm Ray Harkins, and you're listening to the beautiful 100 Words or Last The podcast, a discussion uh, about independent music and the people who are creating it, whether it's playing in bands, working in record labels, whatever the case may be. Doing art. I'm gonna have some I'm gonna have an artist coming up soon. Probably a, uh, a manager as well. Uh, just got some got some good guests lined up, and I'm excited about that. So the guest this week, it's a big one for me, Andrew Klein from the band Strife. And he also plays in World Be Free and also plays in a band, I'm probably going to mispronounce this, but we'll try it, Birthhold City, which is his new straight-edge band with uh, some other rad dudes from the uh, LA hardcore scene. Um, Strife, I can't state... The level of importance that I placed on this band and still place on this band in regards to me as a person, as far as getting out to shows, it was like one of the first bands that I could feel like I could reach out and touch in regards to just the, I mean, I didn't know anybody up until, I mean, I think the first time I actually met any of the guys physically in Strife was, you know, much, much later in my life, but they were just so tangible to me. And it made the idea of not only straight edge, but like playing in bands, like so real to me. And uh, yeah, I can't thank those dudes enough. And Andrew has always been nothing but super cool to me and super kind. And I was excited to have him on the show. And that's exactly what we did. We chopped it up. We talked a lot about, you know, strifes, real moments, just a lot of fun, just a lot of fun stuff. That's all I got to say. But hold on, let's do some business stuff. And then I will talk to you about some um positive yet also some serious things going on and uh, no echo.net you need to visit them because that website's incredible they do great profiles and record collector features and just super super in-depth interviews um frankly i if i know that a person has done an interview on no echo uh, i sometimes use that as a template for like okay well they've already asked them about this so i don't really want to tread on that same topic and um it's really interesting and engaging so Gotta love them. Visit them. It's a, it's a partnership made in heaven. And um, yeah, nothing else business-wise I want to tell you about. But uh, positively, I know uh, some of you check in via email. And if you want to email the show, 100 podcast at com, And uh, I've been curious about my wife as of late. And actually today we got a super, super positive piece of news in regards to her... Continual monitoring of cancer; just another blood test has passed, and there's been no detection of cancer. And the sense of relief—I can't even like—I'm closing my eyes, trying to think of words to describe the relief that it washes over you. And it's um, it's so good; (laughs) it just feels great. And you know, and I'm speaking from a selfish perspective, you know, because like I'm not the one that's battling this this disease, but of course, I am. You know, surrounded by it in regards to you know, making sure that she's okay and she's feeling all right. And, um, it's a lot, it's, it's a lot of heaviness that exists at times, but, uh, the positive side is the fact that, um, I can't tell you how close I've become to this person and my wife. And it's just, man, it's deep, deep stuff. And kind of on that same topic is the fact that we as a nation are reeling from another, um, another mass shooting. And I can't like, I feel like a worn out, eraser on this. I'm like, just like a nub of emotions, like, you know, so this happens on a Sunday and then uh, I'm recording this on a Monday and I'm, you know, I do a nice little, uh, you know, hour long walk in the mornings to kind of, you know, get my head in the right space before, you know, I tackle the day. So I always listen to some podcasts and I always listen to the daily, which is a New York times podcast where they basically, you know, summarize the news events of uh, the previous day and, you know, kind of tell you what's, uh, what's happening ahead and I' um, just walking around and you know crying as i'm hearing these uh these accounts of how this shooter invaded the church and shot people um there's there's no proper words to describe it. It just makes me sad that as a nation that we can't um yeah we just can't get around the idea of how about we just don't have these guns existing in our culture and um it's just uh it's heartbreaking, so the best way in my opinion to combat this. Is to um, just show love, like and I know that sounds like such a hippie, new age religious philosophy, but you—that's the only way that people know that um, you know you are, uh, frankly, not one of them. You are not one of the people that languishes in hate and languishes in um, you know retribution and retaliation. And these are these are easy feelings to mimic and to dive into and get trapped in. So I understand why people go down certain roads, but the only time that people are able to come out of that is if they are shown love. And uh, I mean, sometimes you know, frankly, people are are too far gone, and I understand that. But um, that's really the only way that I've been able to kind of combat that, and obviously have hope for the future and my son and all the other younger people than me. And uh, it's just it's heartbreaking. So know that. If you're listening to this, you are not alone if you are fighting the good fight, so to speak. Um, it's just, it, it's hard to do it in a day to day basis. So, yeah, but um, let's focus on something positive. How about the music and how about this interview with Andrew? Um, like I said, he was a, a great chat and uh, it took me a long time to have him on the show. And for no other reason than I just was, he was one email away. And sometimes the people that are that close to me. <laughs> just end up falling by the wayside and i'm like hey it's been a couple years i can't believe that i haven't had you on the show so we rectified that and this is what transpires so let's talk after okay all right here's the interview with andrew being from Southern California myself and, you know, obviously getting raised within the same hardcore scene as, as you did, except obviously, you know, a, a few years after you guys, or, or you started to experience that. Um, the, the, the thing that I always reflect on in regards to strife was the fact that uh, you guys felt so tangible because it was like, okay, like, even though you were, when I was starting to see you guys play in like 96, 97, you were, you know, playing to a lot of people at that time. But, It it, it felt like oh like I could do what they are doing you know that's that idea that like oh yeah like this is still essentially a local band even though they are popular Um, and and I realize this is kind of a big question to lead it off with but something I'm sure you've kind of thought about in certain respects where you know since you're still you know very active you know from strife to world be free and you know doing the record label and you are you know go to a lot of shows and that sort of stuff does it feel interesting to you to kind of observe the sort of full circle nature of the fact that you know, you were influenced and then now you're influencing people and then having that all kind of ping pong around you where it's like, you know, people that are, you know, 10 years younger than you, you're friends with and, you know, have started bands or whatever. And just kind of that, uh, that sort of weird thing that happens within the context of punk and hardcore. How does that sit in your head?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, we started the band really kind of the same thing that you just said, like, you saw us play and you're like, I could do that. Like, it was the same thing. Like, you know, we, we were, we were, you know, 15 year old kids going to hardcore shows. And, you know, we, we love these bands and it felt like a really tangible thing. Like we could do this and we, we wanted to like, you know, you know what I mean? Like I think, Early on everybody in the band was just you know really focused you know and, and it, it, playing playing hardcore music I mean the cool thing about it is anybody could do it, and it's more about the the heart and more about the message than necessarily the talent you know and and when we started the band, like I could play guitar a little bit you know. Sid, our drummer could play and he, he was in a band before that played played quite a bit but like when, when Chad joined the band like he didn't know how to play bass and, and we didn't care you know we, we wanted to start a band with our friends and um, and you know kind of do what we could to support the scene that we loved and, and you know starting out starting a band we never had, these giant goals, you know, we, we had a, m- maybe a goal to write some songs and a goal to maybe play some, play some shows and maybe play some shows with bands that we were fans of, you know what I mean? And then right. it kind of grew from there. And And every time you, you reached a new level, then you set a new goal, like, okay, well, you know, like our first, our first real show was a show that Rick set up at his uh, his high school. And it was, uh, it was us with um, still life who was called monster club at the time, outspoken and um, downcast was supposed to play. So that was like our first real show. And it was, it was great. So once we did that, we're like, okay, we got to book another show. And then the second show that we, real show that we played was a show that we booked, which was chain of strength, outspoken drift again, us, um, me and Steven played. They were called Have No Part at the time, mm-hmm. and again, this was a a show we set up, and it was it was crazy because we had all those bands, and it was like in a weird like rec room of an apartment complex. Like, <laughs> right? We, we rented a stage, and we brought in a PA, and it's like I don't even know how we pulled that one off. To be honest, like, <laughs> right, right. As young as we we were, but you know, we wanted to play, and and we wanted to play with bands that we liked, and we didn't know what else to do. So we, we just kind of had to do it ourselves. And then from there, it just kind of snowballed. So then our next goal was like, okay, we've got to record a demo. Let's do a seven. You know what I mean? And and it slowly grew, but you know, in in the end, we were always hardcore kids, you know, that's, and that's what separates kind of punk rock and hardcore from rock music. It's like, you know, we're 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 just we're just regular kids. We're fans of music. We're in the crowd, sing along for other bands. We're going to shows. You know what I mean? And it, and, it, and it, there's no separation. And and I think that's what really makes hardcore and punk different and, and very cool. You know, mm-hmm. it, we're we're not we're not charging twenty dollars for a meet and greet. You know, to hang out after the show, like after the show, we're in the crowd singing along to the next band. You know what I mean? Like, and and that's how it always was. Um, and that's what I think is special. And and then as time went on, you know, it's like we influenced the new generation of hardcore kids. And you know, the, the, the the funny thing is, is, is I think that next generation or the generation after, like, you know, although they continue to influence younger kids, like, they re- reignited a fire in me too. You know, like like I, I feel like in the early 2000s, you know, the hardcore scene felt a bit stagnant to me, and I wasn't into a ton of the bands. But then there was a new wave of bands that got me reinvigorated. You know what I mean? Like bands like Terror, like were playing the type of music that I liked and it wasn't just metal. It was, it was more classic style, hardcore bands, like internal affairs, you know what I mean? So there was a, there was a new wave of bands. And I think every time kind of the the sound or or, or the style, it's stagnant. There's a new crop of bands that pop up and you know, like right now I'm really into, you know, bands like Give and Praise who are playing like melodic, DC, hardcore. And there's bands like Protester who, you know, play super fast and heavy, kinda more like a SSD style. Like like that's the that's the cool thing about right about hardcore now, it's like whenever it starts feeling stagnant, you, you you can search out bands that are doing something totally different.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I do. I I really like the, the, you know, the theme that you kind of tugged on there where the, you know, the separation of, you know, bands and people who are at the show like that, you know, those walls come crashing down pretty quickly once you, you know, you've been going to shows for a while and you start to observe the culture around you. And then, you know, these people that you know, at at one point might have felt like, so like, Oh my gosh, like look how cool they are on stage. Or just like, you know, they, they, everybody kind of becomes peers very quickly. You know, once you've been involved after a certain period of time, you know, regardless of age, you know, and it's, uh, it's cool to see that, uh, like you said, working both ways where you feel inspired by younger bands coming out and, you know, vice versa, where you have clearly been influenced by people that have come before you. And it's just, uh, yeah, I, I do think it is unique from that perspective. Um, to independent music sure. and punk and hardcore for sure. Um, for sure. Kind of, you know, focusing on you as an individual, um, you were, you know, you were, I think, were you born in New York and then you moved to Southern California at a super? Yeah. Dance, right? I,
0: I, yeah. I was born in Manhattan, but I, I, I moved to, um, Southern California, like I was just like a few months old.
1: Right. And so uh, from what I I could tell from, you know, other interviews that I've read and, you know, from what I know about you as an individual uh, is that, you know, you you were raised in a musical household where, you know, music was always kind of uh, present as far as what your parents were listening to and that sort of stuff. Um, And just knowing you as an individual, you always struck me as a a person that was, um, you were quiet and reserved, but not in like a super, you know, wallflower guy in the corner sort of scenario. but you were able to kind of interact with a wide variety of people um is is that characterization kind of correct or or were you kind of uh you know m- more loud and outgoing in certain respects and uh, quiet in others
0: you know it it's weird because if you ask people that know me like people would say both you know it, sure. I, like i think when i'm like a, around close friends and people i'm very comfortable with i'm definitely loud and outgoing and I, you know, I joke around a lot and I like to give people shit, you know, you know what I mean? But I'm, I'm definitely can be quiet and reserved, um, as well. You know what I mean? Like I, I definitely, I'm not out to be friends with everybody, you know what I mean? So I'm not like, Hey, good to meet you going out. You know what I mean? Like going yeah, out. And networking, I'm yeah, right, right. yeah. I'm not trying to be the mayor, but I definitely, you know, I definitely don't shut people out either. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I would say, you know, I, I'm a bit of, I'm a bit of both.
1: Right. You, you lie firmly in the middle.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um,
1: and so, and you have you have an older brother, correct?
0: I'm an older brother and an older sister.
1: Oh, okay. Got it. Oh, so you, you're the baby yeah. of the bunch.
0: Yep,
1: yep. <laughs> so you were you, you got away with murder, and you were spoiled uh, spoiled rotten, right? <laughs>
0: uh, I wouldn't say spoiled rotten, but <laughs> sure. de- definitely probably got got away with uh, with murder. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I just always, yeah. I uh, the, those archetypes of you know where you land in your pecking order in your family, I just always find so funny because you know sometimes they're like completely right on, and other times it's like no, that's not me at all. <laughs> and I just find it so funny. Yeah, it's it's, it, it's yeah, it's so interesting. Um, but then, you know, as you, uh, you know, and, and from what I understand, uh, you you and your older brother were kind of, you know, getting into this stuff roughly at the same time, like he was showing you things. And, um, I know Sid moved next door or a friend of Sid's moved next door to you and you were able to kind of, you know, get into more independent minded music, uh, with that influence. Um, was it cool getting into this stuff with your brother and felt like you had a, a bud in this?
0: Well, actually my my brother isn't into, like, he isn't into punk or hardcore. Like, oh, okay. like there's definitely bands that he knows because of me. And there's, like, he, through the years, was able to see some cool bands. And even now and then, he'll, like, surprise me and, and check out a band on his own. Like, my, my brother's a marine biologist now, so he lives in, in, in different places around the world at different times. And, and for a while, he was living in Australia. And I remember, you know, he, he hit me up. He's like, I just saw Gorilla Biscuits in Australia. It was so awesome. Or he went and saw Terra there. Or, you know what I mean? Like, he does know some bands, but he, he definitely wasn't, like, into hardcore like I was. So okay. Like, as, as a little kid, and I think what, what you're probably referencing is I did do an interview where I mentioned, like, we were really little kids. And one of the first punk songs I ever heard was, um, was a song from this band called Bad Posture. And it was um, a song called "Goddamn Motherfucking Son of a Bitch," mm-hmm. and we heard that from an old family friend. He lived up in Santa Barbara, and he used to tape like the punk show at UCSB. And he and, and, and this guy was probably was probably about five years older than me. And so he he would tape the the punk show, and we would go up there, and he would play us you know play us music, and he had this tape of this song me and my brother just thought it was hilarious. Like we didn't even know what punk music was like, you know I mean? I was probably like seven years old or eight years old or something like, but, but just a song saying goddamn motherfucking son of a bitch was just hilarious to us. Right. So we had it on a tape and we'd always just listened to it, but we, you know what I mean? at that point it could have been like weird Al Yankovic or something. You know what I mean? Like it, it was, it was just, just funny. Right. We didn't really, yeah. It was just a funny song that we would, would play. And, um, you know later on i think you know i had a few friends that kind of um got me more into punk i had a friend in um that I was friends with in in elementary school named mike who who you know he was a, he was a kid that skated and listened, he had an older brother that listened to punk and you know he kind of turned me on to like DRI and COC and The Descendants. And then um, I had a next door neighbor. So my parents got divorced and, and I had a next door neighbor at my my dad's house named, um his name was Jason. And he was probably, he, he might've been like eight or 10 years older than me. And he just had like an insane record collection, like thousands of records. And he had, you know, punk, hardcore, two tones, ska, like everything. But he was, you know, he was really into punk or hardcore. And so I would go to his house and he would let me borrow like five records at a time. And I would, I'd borrow them for a week. And, you know, he, he had like original pressings of minor thread and negative approach and a freeze. And and so I would borrow these records and bring them home, tape them and then give them back. And then take you know every week i would take um new records from him so he got me into like agnostic Front and and negative approach he got me into operation ivy he was he was kind of friend friendly with some of those guys um so i was into all all of these bands and and, you know before the internet a lot of this stuff was really really hard to find um you know there, there were certain certain bands you could find like at the local like music plus or warehouse. And that was like black flag. You could find minor threat. You could find, and then some, some of the stuff on the, on the major labels, um, DRI, um, you know, a a lot of the stuff that ended up being a little more crossover or on the major labels, but, but you're not going to find negative approach and you're not going to find, you know, Agnostic front, victim in pain. Like that's just not gonna happen. So I'd go to his house and I would I would borrow these records and it was funny. So I would I would make these tapes and I would narrate the tapes like a radio announcer. So I'd be like, That was agnostic front with victim in pain and this is the FUs with my America. Like I would narrate in between the records. I still have some of these tapes, um, at home. I was like, you know, like like thirteen, fourteen years old. And um it was cool. Like, like my, my neighbor definitely like turned me on to a lot of really cool music. And through him, I kind of just realized that I was, I was into a lot of the um, just heavier New, New York hardcore bands. And, that, and that's kind of what we're, I started um, right, we're, getting into like seventh and eighth grade. I was definitely more into that.
1: That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, because I mean, you always definitely need someone kind of, you know, exposing you to stuff and whether or not um, you really know what that stuff is. You're just like, oh, I like it. I like the music of it, you know, and like I, I think that's that's some of the most fun times when you are getting into music because you don't pay attention to anything beyond like, you know, I mean, maybe childish things like you know how provocative the artwork is or you know how many times they swear or whatever but like it's yeah. such, it, you're coming at it from such an innocent place where you're just like i just like all of these bands they, they all sound cool because of all of these reasons and um it's it's really yeah i mean know. it's
0: definitely your, your 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 tastes aren't in a box yet you know what i mean so you're open to you know like i i would say stuff like bad manners from him or a, a, Scatolite or whatever. Like, I'd tape all kinds of stuff. The Foreskins, like, I was listening to, to Boy, and I was listening to Sky, and it was all cool. It was all different. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't, I wasn't just listening to Straight-Edge Hardcore or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, and even, even now, it's like, you know, it's like, I don't limit my, my taste to one, one genre of of music. Yeah. But, um, yeah. That's really cool. After, after that, which you mentioned Sid. So then, yeah, like, so like, I think it was a summer of eighth grade when I, when I was between eighth and ninth grade, I had a, I had a close friend named Jesse and, um, Sid, the drummer from Strife just moved in next door to him. Um, he moved from Riverside and, uh, Sid was like two years older than me. He skated also, um, he had already played drums. He, he was in this band called, um, SDI from, from Riverside. That was kind of like a, uh, like a DRI kind of vibe. Like they, they played shows with like agnostic front at Spanky's. Like they, he'd already been in a band playing, playing shows. And, you know, we would skate in front of Jesse's house, like pretty much every day. And so I met Sid there and we started talking. And I think the first day I met him, he handed me the, uh, the minor threat, um, the mindset VHS. And so I came, I I went home and watched it. And, you know, we'd love, we'd love that VHS. And, uh, from there, like, we kind of just became like best friends, you know? So every day, like they were, they were like just a few blocks away. So every day I would go and, and, and skate to their house and we'd skate and listen to music. And, um, Sid had records again. So, so I would borrow his records and tape them and then I would let him borrow stuff. And, you know, so, so it was kind of like a cool little network of kids, you know, and, and, uh, we're all just kind of getting Get into, into it together.
1: Yeah, no, that's really cool. Um, and the, you know, you're from what I could tell from previous interviews and, and all that sort of stuff is that the, uh, your junior high and high school years, you know, seem pretty kind of quintessential and, you know, suburban from that perspective, um, you know, beyond, I, I, did your, your parents split up in junior high, correct? where they got divorced?
0: My, I might have been, it might have been, the, could be wrong, but I, I want to say it might have been the summer of, I think it was the summer of sixth grade. Yeah, that yeah, was.
1: Got it. Um, Like, was that, just because, yeah, the old reason I asked this is because, I mean, I, I, my parents were divorced when I was five, so I was pretty young and I don't really remember much. And, you know, it was traumatic to, for me in certain respects, but, you know, how, how did that ping pong in your head as that was kind of, you know, transpiring? Was it like, oh, wow, this is like a weird new reality, or was this something that just, you know, you were a kid, so you are just like, well, I, I'm kind of more focused on myself. Not like being a dick, but like, you know, you're a kid, so you don't really have the...
0: Yeah, some, some... I mean, you know, I, I think we were kind of like sad at first, but it definitely wasn't like a, a traumatic experience, you know? I, I, my my parents, when they split up, they, you know, they, they moved, but they, they were still close to each other like I could skate to my dad's house from my mom's house so it wasn't that dramatic it was like okay half the week I'm at my dad's and half the week I'm at my mom's and it was it was cool like I think you know I think that got me kind of maybe into skateboarding a little more and and probably into you know through skateboarding into punk music a little more because when I was at my dad's I would um I would skate to junior high school. So every morning I'd skate down this big ass hill from, from my dad's house and meet up um, with my friend, Mike, who is the kid that I told you in in sixth grade, that was kind of into punk that had an older brothers. So I'd I'd meet up with Mike and then we'd skate from Mike's house to school. And um, you know, Mike, Mike was really into punk already from his older brother. So, you know, we'd always listen to like, Bands like Descendants and The Freeze and DRI and C.O.C. and you know we had like a little skate clique, um, and every morning we'd skate to school and we'd we'd all hang out and listen to music, and you know every day after school we would we would skate home, and you know and I think oh you know that probably wouldn't have happened if my uh, right if your parents parents were had stayed together, you know no because he was like you know he was like on on the out from my, from my, when my dad had moved. Right. So, you know, that probably led to me getting a little more into skateboarding and a, and a little through skateboarding, a little more into, um, a little more into punk.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Strife is kind of ostensibly your first band, right? Like you, you didn't play in anything prior to that, did you?
0: No. Yeah. So the weird thing was, okay. So like that, that little skate crew, uh, that we had with my friend, Mike, like we had a, we had a pretend band, it wasn't pretend, but we had this idea to start a band and Mike was going to be the singer. Um, maybe our friend Nick was going to be on guitar and I was supposed to play bass for some reason. I never even owned a bass. We never, we never did this band, but this was like a, an idea we always had. And, and this band never happened. And then, you know, eventually in, in, in the nineties, w- way later down the line, I actually started a band with Mike. So it's funny how, how that turned out years later, we actually had a band together, but yeah. So Strife was, uh, my first band. We started, um, I started hanging, like I said, we started hanging out with Sid all the time. Sid went to a different high school, um, just cause of, of where his house was. And, um, we met Rick. Rick lived in Moore Park, which was like one or two, um, cities over, but still very, very close. And we went to like, uh, I think it was Bad Religion show at the, uh, country club. I remember Sid and I were in line waiting to get in. And this country club was in Reseda, which is maybe a 30 minute drive from Thousand Oaks where we, where we grew up. And we were in line and, we met Rick and Rick was in line behind us and we thought it was so cool that somebody so close to us was into punk and into hardcore. So we, we kind of became friends and Rick, Rick would drive out for more part, you know, every day and hang out with us. And so, um, Sid, Sid and Rick were going to start a band. And actually it's funny. So at the time Sid worked at Toys R Us, And he worked with my friend Mike's older brother, a guy named Jim. And Jim was a really good guitar player. Um, He was like a metal guy. And uh, Sid started jamming with him. And then once they met Rick, they got Rick in the band. But but Jim was like kind of like a stoner guy, and he was super flaky. So they they jammed a couple times, and then Jim just kind of stopped showing up. So I remember one day I went over to Sid's house and he had his drum set up in his, in his, um, in his bedroom. And maybe it was Jim's amp in the room. I don't even remember, but we just started, you know, I plugged in the guitar and we started jamming and, you know, we, we kind of like wrote two songs just right there. And I guess that's kind of how the band band happened. Like at that point, like I was the guitar player, um, yeah. And That's, you know, we had a we had a different bass player early on who kind of disappeared and, you know, Chad went to high school with um with Sid and you know, we told we told Chad he was gonna play bass and he was you know, he didn't play bass. He didn't I don't even yeah. think he owned a bass.
1: That a, yeah, ba- <laughs> bass players are are the perfect like hey that that dude's cool. He's a good hang. Like uh let's uh let's have yeah. him play bass.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I mean it's funny because you know, having a really good bass player is important, but like it's really hard to find. Like I, I, I could count like the number of great hardcore bass players I could probably count on, you know, two hands. Yeah. So,
1: um <laughs> For sure. Yeah. No, that's cool. Um and so you know, it, i mean, the 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 history of, of Strife has been, you know, well documented from, you know, you guys signed to Victory and, you know, coming on the radar and stuff like that. But um, you, you being the person who, um, you know, was from my perspective was definitely a driving force in regards to, you know, a lot of the business. Cause you know, usually you've got one or two guys in the band that are kind of handling the business aspects and then, you know, other people, you know, contribute in their other ways. Um, did the, I guess, did the business stuff kind of come naturally to you or was that something that you kind of learned as you went along? Um, and did you enjoy being kind of the, uh, you know? the the focal point from that perspective.
0: You know, it's weird. I mean, definitely earlier on, I think, you know, everyone played a bigger role. You know, I would say at this point, like I pretty much do everything with a little help from Chad. Um, And I think early on, like Sid was definitely like a driving force in, in a lot of ways. And, and Rick too, I think, you know, Obviously, everyone kind of gravitates to the singer, so you know people would approach him about a lot of things. Um, you know, but I think it's a lot of it had to do, yeah, a lot of it I learned just along the way, you know. And I think that's what's what's so cool about kind of the, the DIY um, scene. It's like you know, you you could kind of get a crash course in and business like a small business, you know what I mean? And, and I think a lot of the, a lot of my strengths in life now come from everything I've learned, like operating this small business called strife. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, absolutely. whether it's like making shirts or, or marketing or whatever, like, you know, there's, there's so many skills that you, you know, that you just need to learn. And, um, you know, I think, you know, Rick was really, um, he's a really good artist. So he, he would contribute like, you know, in some design aspects and, you know, Sid worked at Kinko. So we would always, you know, and, and Rick worked at Kinko. So we'd always be over there making flyers and, you know, like everybody did in the, in the nineties, like, you know, making flyers and making zines and not having to pay for them, which was, which was a great um, right. <laughs> promotional tool, you know? Totally. And, um, yeah, but I, but I also think, you know, As a kid, I was kind of like, um, a little businessman too. I remember like, like fourth and fifth grade, I was really into garbage felt kids and like, I I would have pockets full of garbage felt kids and I'd be selling them at school. And so I like one pocket, in my jacket would be garbage felt kids and the other pocket would all be dollars. You know what I mean? So it was like, I kind of had like a enterprising nature early on and, and carried that, um, carry that forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think uh, being in a band is a, it, it's a great learning experience and, you know, if you really dive into it, you could, um, you could really learn a lot of skills that are, that are helpful, like, you know, throughout life. And, and I think the biggest thing it, it taught me is that you could really do anything. You know what I mean? There's like, there's, there's nothing you can't do. you just And if you don't know how to do it, you can learn to do it. You know what I mean? And, and it's kind of overcoming that fear of thinking you can't do something.
1: Right. Oh, totally. Especially, too. It's like, you know, I'm sure as, you know, the popularity of the band started to grow and you started to have to reckon with these... You know, shows where it's just like you know, whatever. We were getting paid like three hundred dollars, you know, six months ago, and then now all of a sudden, like there's six hundred kids, and like I don't like I don't I, I don't know what like to get paid, and like all all these you know stumbling blocks that come in front of you that are exciting, but then like you said, you have to you know kind of learn on the job and <laughs> figure it out. Yeah, and be, I mean,
0: yeah, I I think there's definitely you know on that note, there's definitely like a lot of promoters and clubs that took advantage of hardcore bands and you know like yeah we would play shows that there would be 600 700 people and we would get paid 300 dollars right. as a headliner <laughs> and, 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 you know what i mean it's like it's pretty crazy and you know it's like I'll, I'll look back at and see old videos and like man i can't believe we played this giant place there's 500 you know 500 people and i don't think we got paid more than 300 dollars it's like some some math didn't add up, but at that at that time, we didn't know any better, and we we didn't care like you know what I mean like that wasn't our motivation like we we were psyched to have an awesome show and 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 if kids went crazy and kids were singing along, then that's the payment that we wanted, and that's right was the important thing for us, like making. A thousand dollars, or 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 whatever that that wasn't that that wasn't an issue at that time, and it wasn't even anything that really crossed our mind. Like up up until we really started, you know, doing big tours across the country, and you know, there was a point where we all quit our jobs and and you know, focus on the band full time. But up, up until that point, like we didn't have a guarantee. We didn't have a manager. We didn't have a booking agent, you know, and we, we just wanted to play. And so someone would call us up like, Oh, we're doing a show at this warehouse in Santa Ana. You guys want to do it? Sure. Sure. We'll be there. And we would show up or, you know, we'd show up at a weird place in Riverside or where, wherever we were asked to. And, you know, and that's just what we did. And, and I, I, I think, I think the innocence of that is what made it so cool. Like, you know, it, it, it's it, it's good to be smart about your band and smart about your finances, but when your driving force and your driving motivation is money, then I think it stops being fun. It, you know, then it, then it's a job, and you, and you're doing it not necessarily
1: for the right reasons. Right. Well, yeah, especially too, like you said, when you're, um, you're still in the middle of that, that exciting period of growth and people are coming to your shows. And then if you immediately switch over to the, all right, we got to make this thing our life for the next, you know, 10 years, it's like, well, can't we just enjoy what we have right now? Like, you know, those are two things that are, you know, kind of in polar opposites of one another in regards to their train of thought, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and, and, as a band, we we never really looked that far into the future. Like, we were, you know, we we were living kind of in the moment and maybe a, looking a few steps ahead, but we weren't planning out, like, a year in advance and what, what our, you know what I mean, what yeah. we were going to be doing. Right. Yeah, you, so, didn't,
1: you didn't sit down and have a band meeting with, like, all right, here's our goals for 1999.
0: Like... <laughs> No, I don't think we ever had a band meeting once. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, every every now and then, now we'll get together, like, you know, oh, we got this offer to go to Europe. Like, let's figure out what dates work. And instead of having like a crazy group text or group email, like, let's just meet and we'll all go to dinner and we can hang out and we can like flush it out in one night instead of going back and forth. Like, you know, but. Up until that point, I don't think we ever had a had a band meeting right and um you know we were fortunate enough that everyone was more or less able to do everything that we wanted to do you know we're we we're we were all on the the same page um more or less,
1: yeah, for sure, no, that's cool. Um, I'm sure there are um, some moments like, you know, as you guys, you know, after you released One Truth and then once you, you know, released In This Defiance and you started to do those, you know, larger tours like you were mentioning with, you know, Sepultura and that sort of stuff. um, Do you have some moments in your head that you kind of, you know, look back on in either in regards to it being like really surreal. You're like, I can't even believe this band is doing this. It doesn't even have to be like a large show or something like that, but just a thing that you're like, I never thought we would get to do this particular thing. Um, are there, are there some moments that kind of stick out in your head that, uh, you know, when I, when I mentioned that
0: idea? Okay. So things we never thought we would do. Sure. I mean, starting the band you never think you're going to go to Europe. Like Mm -hmm. that, that wasn't even that, that wasn't even in my mind at all, starting the band. So probably the first time we went to Europe, um, you know, the first time I ever went to Europe was with the band. So, you know, just being able to, to travel and, and see these places, you know, but going to Europe, going to Japan, you know, the tour with Sepultura was just, insane like that that whole thing was just kind of something we never expected like it so it it was crazy how we ended up um meeting those guys uh we we played a show in arizona and it was a really small um local show i I think it was at the nile and it was it was us and eyelid and and a few others and it, it was an okay show nothing nothing too crazy and um after the show we're packing up and, and our merch guy comes up to me and he's like, Hey Andrew, um, one of the guys from Sepultura is here and he wants to meet you. And I, and I was like, what? That's so weird. And, and at that time, um, you know, the store guys actually lived in Phoenix, um, which I didn't know. Um, so I would go over to the merch booth and it was Igor. And so we met Igor and, um, you know, Igor's drum tech at the time was really into hardcore and, you know, Igor was, was pretty into hardcore too. Like, you know, he's, he's always supported bands like Strife and earth crisis and dead guy and whatever. So we met him and he's like, yeah, you know, my, my drum tech Kishi, he, he told me I, I, you guys were playing and I had to come, I had to get him a t-shirt like, um, his drum tech lived in Brazil. So, you know, he came and we met him and we gave him some merch and, I exchange phone numbers or whatever, and and then it couldn't have been. I, I remember we went to go see them at Ozfest. It might have been the first Ozfest. It's like Slayer, Sepultura. I think Danzig. We went and saw them there and hung out with them a little bit. I think Igor was probably living at in San Diego at the time, so we we were friends. But a few months after we met him, he called us up and he said, "Hey, we need a we we want you to open the Roots tour in Europe." And so we had short notice. It was like two weeks before the tour was going to start. So we called Victory. We said, look, they want to bring us. We got to make this happen. We got tickets. And, you know, two weeks later, we were, we were on, on the Roots tour. And, and, and this was Sepultura at their peak. This wasn't, you know, we were, we were playing like stadiums and arenas. Like we were, we were playing... Shows with 20, 30,000 people. <laughs> right, nothing you've, uh, yeah, nothing you've
1: ever done before.
0: <laughs> never. Like at that time, we had never done the big European festivals yet. This was our second tour in Europe, and so we we go out there, and you know, first of all, our our you know the Sepultura has like four or five buses, and we're there in this little broken sprinter van. Like our our, our driver picked us up at the airport at the airport is the middle of winter picks it up at the airport in this, in this crappy mini bus thing that's falling apart with a broken window. So it's just freezing cold. He shows up like hours late. It's freezing cold. Um, it's leaking exhaust and he shows up and and takes us to the show. We're just in this worst bus situation. It wasn't even a bus that we've ever been in. Um, you know, at, at times we were scared to go to sleep because it leaked exhaust so bad that we thought like we were, we were going to suffocate right. um, in our sleep. But you know, we, we play these shows like we, the craziest show out of all of them, I think was in, in, in Prague. And that day we went to like an official ceremony where they gave Sepultura a gold record. And then we played an arena with them that night. And it was just, so it surreal <laughs> so huge and crazy i mean it was definitely supple turn at their peak and um i mean it it was it was awesome and definitely nothing i ever expected to happen and you know something that i think now makes a little more sense but at the time it was something that you know most hardcore bands were not doing yeah oh absolutely and um yeah and it was you know it, it was awesome like we're lifelong friends with definitely with Igor and the rest of the guys. And, um, it was just a crazy experience. So we, end, on that tour, we end up playing the last Sepultura show with Max. Um, the last show was at the, the Brixton Academy and, um, that was the last day of the, the tour. Right. And, um, it was crazy.
1: That's cool. That's really cool. Uh, a few last things I want to hit on before I let you go is the, um, you know as the uh, you know as the touring life started to die down with you know strife and then obviously you know, you, you put you you did some shows with anger means um, and you know obviously you were playing in, in Turndown turn down and all that sort of stuff but um, you know as, as touring became less uh, a part of your life and you were you know be able to be more present uh, with your life in southern california was was that a difficult transition for you to kind of you know go out of the touring life, or was that um, kind of a welcome change in certain respects just because you had spent so much time on the road how did that uh, how did that kind of transpire for you
0: mm, I, I, I think a little of both i mean definitely tour. like I had a love and hate relationship with touring like I love to be on tour i'd love to play in front of new people every night. I hate sitting, not only sitting in a van all day, but then getting to a venue and sitting in a crappy venue in the middle of nowhere for hours. You know, there's a lot of downtime and a lot of just, just boring, boring time where there's nothing to do and there's nothing to keep you occupied. And, um, you know, so I think a little of both. I think probably at first I was like, you know, this this is awesome. I'm gonna have a a regular job and I'll stay home and whatever. Yeah. But then, you know, but then of course once you're home, you're like, man, I wish I was on tour. I wish I was playing. Like, you know, and I and I think you know even now it's like I still play in band. Strike is still a band. We don't do anywhere near as much as I would like to do or as we could do right. but it is what it is like you know everyone is busy with with their lives and you know Rick just had a kid and you know we're, we're fortunate that we still have opportunities to to play and kids come out and we have opportunities to do cool things and we still get offers to you know like whether it's go to Japan or you know we're going to Colombia for the first time ever um in November and we're really fortunate that people still care and people still want us. So, you know, while while I would like to do more, you know, I'm I'm fortunate that we just get to do anything like, you know, there's, there's, there's a a lot of bands that whether it's like the members just don't want to do it anymore or they don't have the passion or they don't have the time or there's bands where just, people don't care so you know we're, we're we're in a good place where you know when everything aligns and everyone in the band can do stuff we have opportunities to still do cool stuff and yeah I but, think th- I, I think that's a great feeling you know
1: yeah well you, I, I always like to put it you're a full-time part-time band
0: it's perfect <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> you know and, and I think it helps like we're not just sitting back you know, um, kind of resting on the merits of our first two records. Like we're still contributing, we're still writing music. You know, I think, you know, witness a rebirth, which we we put out in 2012 is as good as any of our previous records. And, um, you know, I, I think hopefully if, if we can make it happen, you know, there's talk of a new record too. You know, I've been, I've been working on songs. And, you know, if if we could we could do it where it makes sense and, you know, not only to record a record but do some shows behind it, then, you know... Then you'll do it, We'll right. probably do that.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, I love bands being able to, like you said, be afforded to have that opportunity where it's like there isn't this huge pressure to be like, okay, I need this to, you know, make my rent this month or whatever. This is just a matter of, like, Oh, cool! We can play these shows and like whatever. If we walk away with a hundred bucks, that that's fine. It doesn't matter. It's the show. Yeah. It's the show that we're most excited about. And the fact that like exactly
0: and 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 I think to be honest, that's kind of what led to you know the down. That was kind of the downfall of the band at the end. Was you know we had all this pressure to just be constantly on the road that and constantly playing these shows and. So that was our focus because the band was our life, but we weren't really considering our relationships within the band. So, you know, kind of the stress of just always being on tour and always playing was kind of sacrificing our personal relationships. So once that we kind of took a break, I feel like everyone in the, in the band got closer and, and, we're all better friends now, yeah, you know. Totally, and, and I think it's a it, it, it it's kind of kind of a strange thing when and it's not just us. It happens. I see it in so many bands. Like you start a band with your best friends, and then all of a sudden, in, internally within this band, there's all this turmoil and people hate other people in the band, and they're only in the band. You know, they wouldn't be friends except they're in a band together. Like it just doesn't make sense, and it's not fun. And if you look back to the reasons why you started the band in the beginning, it's because you wanted to play music that you love with people that you love. And once that's lost, you know, I kind of feel like... It's hard to get back. Yeah, it's hard to get back, and why keep doing it? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, it, it feels fake. So, so now when we get up on, on stage and play together, we can all have fun and, you know, or not even forget about getting on stage. When we're sitting in a van driving, you know, from Austria to, to Paris overnight, like we can all crack jokes and laugh about it and have a good time. And that's a great feeling. You know what I mean? Like nobody's miserable. Nobody's sitting there wishing they weren't there and everyone's there to they want to be. Yeah. And I think that's uh that's a great feeling because there was definitely near the end of, of us being a real band. There was definitely times like we'd be on tour somewhere and you could tell certain people did not want to be there. And that energy, that negative energy would rub off on anyone Mm -hmm. it would rub off on everyone and we'd be on edge and mean and you know it just wasn't a good feeling And and i and i think now everyone wants to be there everyone's there to play and have fun and it's just a it's it's just a better feeling
1: yeah absolutely no it's really exciting Um, and like you said, you know, now focused on you where, you know, you, you've been able to, you know, exist in a more stable environment. Like you said, as far as, you know, working jobs and like, you know, doing all the things you do from, um, you know, like running the record label and everything like that, um, so, i mean what what have you done to you know uh, i guess make your living outside of the context of the uh you know the the bands that you've played in and the music that you've created um just because you know you are like you mentioned in <laughs> elementary school, you are a hustler where you have ideas and you bring into the world and that sort of stuff so um yeah, I'd love to hear about you know some of those
0: those fun things yeah so doing. i mean for sure, so for a long time, even between touring like I kind of got into the the fashion world and i was a I was a buyer at a really high end um, retail store called um, Fred Siegel in LA. And I I worked there off and on for probably like 12 or more years. And um, from there, actually, so everything I learned, you know, as a buyer there, I ended up um, in the mid two thousands, I ended up starting my own streetwear and sneaker store. I had a, store called tradition. Um, I had a partner that I kind of business partner. I kind of grew up with. Um, he was also from thousand Oaks and, uh, he worked in in a different department at Fred Siegel. And the two of us opened like, uh, it was a streetwear and sneaker store. We had a location in Westlake village and one in Ventura. And, um, it was awesome. Like, again, that like everything I learned from being in a hardcore band, I kind of applied to, uh, to owning a store. And, um, we did a lot of cool stuff and, um, had a lot of cool in stores. Like we had, uh, Raekwon from Wu-Tang Clan play in the shop. We had, um, Fashan play in the store. We, we do some really cool art shows. Um, we had art show with, uh, this huge graffiti, artist named mirror. We did art show with, uh, Patrick Martinez, who's, A huge contemporary artist. Um, so we, we kind of, you know, we, we we took kind of the Los Angeles culture and brought it back to the suburbs. And I think we did, um, we kind of tried to build like a cool little community in the suburbs where, you know, it wasn't just about buying something and consumerism. It was like learning the culture of, of hip hop and exposing kids to music. And we did some, you know, we did cool events for like, we did a a, a cool event for the burning fight book that came out about 90s hardcore. And we got to do a lot. And, um, it was awesome. And then, um, once the recession hit, it got really tough for me just to sit there every day. And, um, wasn't, I I was, wasn't getting paid. We're basically working just to keep the doors open. So, um, I got out and sold my, sold my part to my, uh, my business partner. And, and he, he kept it going. And then from there, um, I've worked with a few different clothing brands in kind of consulting roles or creative, uh, creative roles. Um, and again, all of this is with knowledge I've learned from the, uh, from the hard And then, um, you know, for a while, It was crazy. So I, I, I started this band with, um, with DJ mugs from cyber sale. And we did that for a few years. I was called cross my heart, hope to die. And it was kind of like a, like a Portishead, massive attack kind of vibe. Definitely. Definitely far away from hardcore. We had a a female vocalist and did that for a number of years. And I worked for mugs running his, um, his soul assassins brand. Um, So like definitely been active in the, um, you know, within like the fashion industry and then, and then currently, you know, I'm running a record label and, and I just started studying for the, um, the real estate exam. So I'm hoping to get, uh, a real estate license. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping to finish that up by the end of the year. Um, it's kind of a nice, uh, job where you could in a way, be your own boss as well. So I, you know, still continue doing what I love to do you know, music-wise. And, you know, if I have an opportunity to, to go on tour or, or you know what I mean, like I could still do that. Yeah, um, that's and exciting. I feel like at this point, like kind of anything I do, I, I, you know, kind of need to be my own boss to some extent, you know? Right. Well, yeah, to give you... To give uh, f- I've done f- that for so long.
1: Right to give you the flexibility in order to be able to be like, oh yeah, I want to be able to you know do 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 stuff musically. I need to be able to go on like a week long tour because you know I can't <laughs> I can't just bail on a job that I have like from an office perspective. And so yeah, it's totally cool.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, just gives you a little bit more freedom. And then you know, outside of that, you know, a few years ago, I started will be free with um, Scott Vogel from Terror yep. and uh, Sammy from Judge and. Arthur from Gorilla Biscuits. So as a project that I'm super excited about and really happy with how that record came out <clears throat> and uh, we've, we've been working on some new songs. So hopefully um, hopefully we'll, we'll start playing again um, early next year, um, playing some shows that's
1: cool. <laughs> and then I have a
0: brand new band. Yeah. And then I have a brand new band called uh course home city and uh, we just re- released a demo and, got a couple shows
1: coming up in october nice that's very cool yeah i mean it's i just i I like when people such as yourself who you know clearly like it it would be so easy for you to just be like yeah like i'm done you know like whatever become jaded because you know there's it's such an easy out from that perspective and uh, you can understand people that just don't feel connected to it but I, i just always find um you know people like you to be uh uh, you know, inspiring in many ways. Cause you're just like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, w- whatever. Like I-, I may not do this thing from a full-time perspective, but I can, com- I'm contributing in all these other different ways. And I'm also yeah. enjoying myself and also having fun.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the important thing, like, like I definitely see a lot of people my age that don't go to shows unless it's like a big reunion show of an old band, you know? And, and I totally understand that. Like, you know, the older you get, you have more responsibilities, you have life, you have, you know, some people have kids, like, it makes it difficult. But Also, a lot of people, older people, don't feel connected. Like, you know, they'll go to a show and they won't know anyone there. So I think a, a lot of, a lot of, a big part of staying active is going to shows and finding New bands that get you excited, and then, you know, like if if you could find a new band that gets you as excited as an old band, then you're going to want to go see that that band. And I think that's the thing. It's like, you know, of course people are going to come out, older kids are going to come out to judge because they they're excited about that band. And you know, yeah, they're doing a reunion. But if you could find a new band that gets you fired up and excited then you're going to want to go to shows and from there you'll find another new band and you know i think it's really just kind of getting your feet wet again and finding within yourself what got you excited about this type of music in the first place and and once you once you can find that then then you you find those bands that kind of reignite that that feeling
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, you just have to you just have
0: to keep you know, your ears open, you know? You got to keep your ears open. Yeah, I mean there's there's so many bands out out right now, which isn't necessarily a good thing because there's so much clutter. So, you know, you could go to something that's called a hardcore show and 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 it's a bunch of young kids playing mosh metal with 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 guys in the crowd punching each other in the face. And it, and if you went to that as an older guy for your first show in 15 years, you're probably going to be turned off. And at the same time, if you go to that as your first show as a 15 year old kid and you get punched in the face, you're probably going to get turned off. So, so you need to, to search it out. There's a lot, there's a, there's a cool other scene. That's not like that. And cool bands that are playing, any style of hardcore that you like, whether it's melodic hardcore or youth crew style, hardcore, you know what I mean? Like there are a ton of bands playing anything and you just kind of got to seek it out and and find what you like and find those bands and, you know, find your little scene where, where the bands are doing what you're into. And I think once, once, once you find that it's, it's very easy for, you know, an, an older kid to, uh, to stay involved.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Totally. That's cool. Well, dude, thank you so much for hanging out. I honestly, yeah, I love, uh, I love hearing people's stories and, uh, your, your story was uh, one I was always interested in ever seeing ever since seeing the one truth VHS that I played over and over in my bedroom. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you go. There you go. That, that, that was a, that was a good, uh, documentation of that that period for sure
1: yeah absolutely (laughs) well thanks dude i appreciate it all right that was andrew thank you very much for hanging out dude i I, that's like i'm specifically addressing andrew like i feel like i was just talking to him on the phone right there thanks for hanging out dude (laughs) anyways um that's uh yeah i just was really excited i think i want to try to collect uh, all of strife I think I made up my mind about that as well. Um, But yeah, you should also, like I said at the very, very beginning, you should check out his new band called Birth Hold City, and uh, it's really, really good. Three songs, awesome demo. You can find it on Bandcamp, and uh, enjoy that. And next week is another just just banger of an interview. I had uh, James Hart, the vocalist for 18 Visions, on the show, and we got... We got so deep into this, like i there are certain parts of the conversation where, as we were having them, I was getting chills just because we were talking about some of the coolest, realest you know life changing stuff, and i um, yeah, I loved it, so you have that to look forward to next week, and um also, yeah, if you are interested in advertising on this show, hit me up one hundred words podcast at gmail dot com I know you hear ads on the show, and some people are like, "Oh man, like I have a cool record label, I'd love to you know talk to you about promoting this particular release or whatever." please email me because some people are like, oh my gosh, I could never afford this thing or whatever. That's that's usually not the case. I want to help people out in as many ways as possible. So if you're listening to us, please email me. We'd be able to uh, you know, figure something out. Um, yeah, spread love, spread positivity, and please be safe, everybody. I'll see you next week. And please, please, please visit my friends at movie.com slash words, and you'll be able to get a 30-day trial. Please, you'll love this service. The movies they have on there are spectacular. All right. Talk to you later. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.